Okay. So I'm just going to shoot in and start, guys, while Brian is, is trying to connect, you know? So basically, um, let me see. Yeah, so while Brian is working on the sound, so um, basically you want to share with everyone that has joined us, first of all, thanking everyone for joining us. But secondly, you know, just, um, you know, just get everyone to, you know, somewhat align as to why we're all in this call today. You know, obviously, I think we all know we're here because um, I'd like to. Brian is from a, a an agency here in Cape Town, um, a digital agency called Zero Creations. So they approached me to basically do an interview with me around self-driving cars. You know, so it's a topic that I'm quite you know excited about just overall, and it's something I'm also very passionate about from you know. Um, 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 my work point of view, you know. So I run a company called Sensorit. Um, company. Um, so Sensorit is like an well, it is an IoT company. Um, we basically innovate in the automotive space, you know. So Sensorit was basically given birth um, by the idea, um, or rather, the fact that in South Africa we have. Um, a lot of road traffic um, um, accidents, you know? So what this means is that in South Africa, we have like a year about 800,000 road, road traffic crashes where people colliding onto each other. Um, and of course, um, what that translates to in human lives, there's about 2 million people affected. So this is fatally or just like minor um, injuries, you know, arising from, from road traffic crashes. Um, and of course, when you translate that into actual like rands, you know, um, that cost the country around about 143 billion rands, which is about 3.4% of our GDP. So this was like a report released about um, three years ago, 2017, you know. Um, so this, of course, includes the cost of repairs, um, the cost of lives, um, and so forth, you know. Um, so our idea was how do we leverage on technology? So my background is on um, just basically a summary as to, you know, just to give you guys an overview as to why am I the right person to even challenge that as a problem that we have in the country, you know. So I'm an innovator, um, been in manufacturing since I was 17 years old, born and bred here in Cape Town, um, grew up in Kailicha, um, started the company as, hello, Brian. Yes, can you hear me now? Much better, it's much, much clearer, bro. Thank you so much for coming back. Um, good to have you back. Fantastic, yeah. Yes. Um, so I'm not sure if you were listening. Yes, yes, I was. Okay, fantastic. So um, essentially, I was just giving the guys that have, um, you know, joined us today a bit of a background as to, you know, um, who's Aubrey and why am I the right person to even challenge these yeah. issues that I'm highlighting, you know, um, that we have in the country and overall just as an overall global phenomenon, you know. Um, so... As mentioned, born and bred in Cape Town, grew up in Ekailija, Site Pico M. I'm currently staying in Hard Bay. Um, started my first business. So I've been an entrepreneur like since you know I, I actually realized there's something called value. So that's when I was 17 years old, created my first company. We did um, like a lip balm company. I've always been in manufacturing. Um, so we did um, like a, 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 a we created a lip balm company where we were, you know, at the time competing with your the bellows um, and the lip gloss because lip gloss was a thing back then so we waxed our own lip balms and so forth um, but that was when still high school um, moved to university studied accounting at CPUT 
CPUT, I did management accounting, started a company called um, with a group of friends, started with an NGO called Fantastic Five, was five of us. Of course, hence the name, we thought it was super amazing. Then we created an NGO where we could four other students and so forth. And second year, I created a company also in manufacturing, which was basically manufacturing clothing, you know? So I'm not sure if you guys, I'm sure everyone that's in the call, um, I'm just, I'm not sure um, everyone that's in the call um, 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 remembers the time um, where, you know, there was like um, Durban Rocks t-shirts. Um, in Cape Town, we have like um, seven, seven something. Um, so there are all these different creatives, you know, that were screen printing t-shirts, basically taking pride in their townships, you know. Um, so what we then created, because we, we saw a gap that all these guys, they had the same fit of t-shirts. It was like a normal print, like a, like a normal fit, but as different was the print. So we started doing CMT, which is cutting, making, and, and trimming out of Cape Town to essentially supply these guys that were doing screen printing, you know? I'm just going to put my computer on do not disturb so that these notifications don't come as quickly as they do because they run like that the entire day, like, yeah, you know? Um, so, yeah, so from there, created um, this company with a bunch of friends. We were basically giving, um, you know, the creatives a voice to also have, you know, their thinking and design reflected in the make of the T-shirt. Um, so we created, um, this company was called Casual Trading CC. We had a brand called Hoodlam under it. Um, so quickly after that, the company got busted, you know, just like any startup, you know, one of the members was dishonest. This was second year. Third year, um, I created a, a, a consulting company focusing in accounting. So all the residencies that had catering, we were basically doing the bookkeeping, the finance, um, the, 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 the strategizing, the cost accounting and so forth, basically using you know, finance as a backbone of logic and deriving strategies for the small catering companies that were servicing resi like um, university residences across Town. So this was um, particularly CPUT and UCT. Um, so shortly after that, um, you know, realized, I'm just gonna use the next five minutes to just give everyone, Brian, bit of a background as to why am I the right person to even be talking about this, you know, with, you know, because a lot of people that are in the call don't actually, I would assume, know me, you know. Um, typically, I always work, you know, so I just, yeah, just giving everyone like a rundown. So shortly after that, I realized that, um, you know, um, the company I had, which was a, um, an accounting firm, couldn't particularly, you know, grow bigger than what I wanted it to be because no big company in reality, in Cape Town, um, would give service to a 20-year-old, 21-year-old with an accounting firm, like no pick and pay, for example, or ShopRite, or Cape Cookies, for that matter. Um, we're excited about giving us business. So, was, you know, while I was thinking about how do we change that, fortunately, a software company in Cape Town approached me. They wanted me to be their junior accountant. Um, um, amazing company. They had this open-door policy. Um, so I was always intrigued by the guys that came in and came out of the office. So I wanted to be part of the guys. So I asked the CEO, how do I become one of these guys? He was like, well, we need yeah. to be a software engineer, you know? So that somewhat, you know, allowed me to gain a, a huge interest in software engineering, learned a lot of um, DBA, learned a lot of SQL, um, learned a um, lot of, um, just, I'm sorry, guys, I'm just disturbed by something. Um, so when you, hey, Aubrey, 
Yes, sir. So when you're learning these whole things, are you self-taught or did you go to school to actually learn about softwares? It was all self-taught, you know. Um, the good thing was that I was on my fourth year this time, you know. And I was literally between deciding if I want to continue with my um, studies or do I want to, you know, explore software because I was completely taking a, like a tangent, you know, to an outside strictly finance guy, um, then exposed to the software engineering realm, you know, and I had to, you know, make a very conscious decision. So I um, dropped out of my accounting, which was fourth year, third term. Then I then used my student card to access the library, you know. Then I got all these books, you know, from the library to learn about SQL, to learn about ABAP, you know, because it was like a SAP providing company. Um, so I then became SAP certified as a um, SAP application associate. Um, within 18 months, I left the company. I started my own company called Palgrave Business Solutions, where we're also providing um, SAP services, basically selling, implementing, and supporting SAP, um, R3, Business One, and All in One, as well as doing some business intelligence. So at the time, what was popular was Crystal Reports, you know, before ClickView was a thing, you know, um, yeah. Crystal Reports, um, you know. But basically, um, pushed the company here in Cape Town, reached the point where I felt, you know, um, I've reached the ceiling. You know that point where you have, you've actually realized that everything that you thought you couldn't do, you're doing. We had a team of 12 guys, 12 engineers from CBUT, from UCT, um, 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 as well as some of my classmates, um, surprisingly, um, that were working with me in the company. One of them were working for, for IMJ here in Cape Town. Um, she was a materials management consultant. Um, so got to you know, convince her to leave the job, join us as a team, created this crazy ass team of smart young guys, you know, and we're at the time, you know, I think we're killing it, you know, um, at that point, um, just give me a sec guys. Um, I think the guys are trying to log in, Brian. Um, some of the guys are trying to log in, but I've sent them the details. So just watch out for anyone that's trying to log in. Um, anyway, so quickly after that, um, I realized, um, there's actually, you know, more to what I was doing, you know, because I, 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 I just gained this fascination of, uh, this fascination of systems and processes, as well as just like overall manufacturing, you know, then, um, as well as just like intrigued by traveling, you know, yeah. and I started traveling, um, um, traveled for a couple of months, stayed, um, landed in Germany, um, in Germany, um, stayed in Germany, created a company called Dataset, Dataset, started out as the same thing that I was doing in Cape Town, which was um, we were literally just doing um, business management softwares. But then business management softwares are from Germany, you know? Yeah. You find yourself as a young kid sitting in boardrooms with old guys, you know? Um, guys yeah. that are like 56, 60, especially in Germany because SAP is from Germany. And there's other companies that we don't know that are competing with SAP in Germany. So you'd be in this boardroom, I think at the time was like just 10, 25, 26, um, and I didn't like it, you know, um, and I just thought of like a way of, you, you know, using systems, using my accounting background, as well as just like understanding of business as a whole, you know, as well as manufacturing. So I created, um, just so we pivoted with, with data sets, um, and we then focused on, 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 on something at the time I called adaptive workspace, 
which was combining people, machines, and systems to work in unison, you know, um, which was basically optimizing business processes, you know, having them semi-autonomous to a great degree, you know. So when I was pushing the company um, in Hamburg, um, met an incredible investor, um, you know, long story short, met some guys um, that were from Switzerland studying at EP EPFL, we, you know, gain like of each other, incredible guys. One guy is a mechatronics um, engineer and the other guy is, is an electrical engineer. So we decided to create a company. They were running their own company called Secretive. And I was running my own company called Dataset. We decided to fuse the two because they were focusing on combining the rest of the world to China, you know? And I was focusing on optimizing and automating the inside of the factory, you know? So, so Aubrey, it is so symbiotic. You know, that, sorry, Brian? No, I'm asking, so what happened to the, the business you started in Cape Town? So the business I started in Cape Town, um, I, 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 I appointed a successor, which is a, a, a girl by the name of Shannon Agalas. We were in the same class together. She was, she was actually one of the brightest students, which is the one that I've recruited to join my team, you know? So, and I had investors at the time because my first investor, you know, was my landlord, you know, an Austrian guy that owned a property I stayed in Arbs. Because I'm a very visual person, long story short, he was interested in some of the, you know, um, for example, if I'll show you in my wall, I'm not sure if you can see that. I'm always just like drawing processes, like wherever there's space on the window or wherever. So similar thing, he was like, what the hell is this, you know? So I was like, well, this is like my, my plan. He was like, okay, cool, he's keen, he invested in it. Then I started this company with him. Then I appointed this guy as my successor. Then I left Cape Town, then went to Germany, started Dataset. I um, changed Dataset to becoming SUI with my business partners. Um, SUI focused on purely electronics manufacturing, basically automating um, the assembly line, the surface mount technology line, you know, where you assemble electronics, something called the PCPA, printed circuit board assembly, you know. So we did that for a while, worked with your, your bosses of this world, worked with Fraunhofer, a research company from Germany, like they've invented the MP3, you know? Yeah. Worked with them in realizing the technology, you know? Um, so from there, scaled the company to China, um, Beijing, um, Shanghai, as well as Shenzhen. Um, scaled the company to Berlin. I moved to Berlin to essentially open up the Berlin branch. Um, because our offices were in Switzerland, Lausanne, when we started the company, then open up the, the Berlin office, um, fly to China, set up shop in China, stayed in China for nine months, um, created a team of 30 engineers. Because um, time went, the, the, the technology was piecing itself together based on the efforts we we're putting. Came back to South Africa, hyper excited to bring the tech here. And something hit me when I got to SA. This was 2016, you know, that South Africa, in terms of the electronics manufacturing hasn't evolved as the rest of the world. What I mean by that, some parts of the world, they have a big maker culture, you know, where for instance, the same clubs that Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak would go pitch their um, Apple computer before it was Macintosh, you know? So there isn't those clubs in Cape Town, those hardware clubs. As a result, that doesn't require, or it doesn't foster innovation, you know? The unpeople thinking of new things, as a result, there aren't new products in circulation in, in the economy, you know? What we end up with, we end up with the same um, PCBAs in terms of product. What I mean by that, if we look at any TV, for instance, 
you could have a Toshiba. I've got a Toshiba TV here in my house downstairs, like in the like living room. And upstairs in my office, I have a, 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 a Bravia, like the Sony TV. The inside of it, they're likely to be the same in terms of the um, components, like 80% of the, the components would be the same. It would be very few components that distinguishes the printed, the PCBA of the two products. But what actually distinguishes the product is the big marketing exercise, you know, the branding, how the companies tell the stories, how different it's perceived by the consumer, you know? And therefore, long story short, when we brought the technology here, the smart manufacturing technology, it was somewhat ahead of its time in a sense that um, we had a repetitive manufacturing landscape, meaning that the electronics that are in circulation are the same as mentioned just now. You know what, what I mean by that is we produce the same products over and over. Take a plant here in Cape Town in Tukai, for example, you'd find that their business comes from two different products, DSTVs and TVs, for example, you know? If you want to produce something different from those assembly lines, you know, it costs crazy amounts of money, you know, because their machines are configured to only do these products. As a result, if Aubrey or any other person that's hardware crazy wants to create something, um, it's expensive to prototype because when to wherever um, 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 SMT line you go to, there's a reconfiguration cost that's associated with you know you prototyping and therefore that you know blocks innovation in a way the you know effect of it so which is what our technology addresses because it changes the assembly line to be somewhat semi semi to full autonomy or rather semi well semi autonomous full autonomy we haven't reached yet um but the idea is that we reduce the manufacturing um, um, um cost and reshore um or rather as a result we have we reshore when we reshore the manufacturing capability and reducing the cost, we are inherently fostering innovation locally, you know? Long story short, for our technology to take off locally, we had to somewhat reimagine the South African, you know, reality a little bit different, where there's more products in circulation, so that if ever I walked into any factory, I'm like, hey, take the sweet technology, I can back it up with, hey, there's actually a demand of different products, and therefore you accommodating a new product in your assembly line makes a lot of business sense, you know? So I created Sensorit, you know? Now, just full circling the, 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 the story. Created Sensorit to essentially now create this demand so that we can change the manufacturing landscape. Sensorit is an IoT and AI company where we, our sole purpose is to try to make, or not, 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 Yoda says, there is no try. It's only you do or don't, you know? So we're actually doing, we are, um, are making South African roads safer um, by deploying hardware that has, you know, some sophisticated um, technology, running machine vision processing algorithms that analyze the environment, the driver that he's operating in. And we then look, um, giving feedback, you know, based on the environmental variables that we've computed. And of course the output as to, for example, if you are driving in a highway, we're able to analyze the environment and, 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 and identify certain environmental variables as well as their velocity, you know, and their potential behavior, which is where the machine learning comes in, you know, um, where we now um, 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 can, you know, with great precision predict what the next driver or agents within the environment are likely to do by, for example, saying this vehicle on your left in the last 
200 nanoseconds. Here's how they've been driving in these 10, 20 to 100, um, 200 bits of nanoseconds. And therefore, here's the likelihood of their next move. And you should therefore, based on your pattern as well, um, 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 accelerate, decelerate, change lanes, or just maintain relatively the same speed or same driving behavior, you know? So this company we've then been doing for the last century that started early 2017 as a company, like legally registered, but as a, a as prototyping and just like building, we started 2016, June 2016. Um, to date, um, I mean, we've won MTN awards. We've got like big names in the industry, worked with APSA. Um, they are, you know, insurance division, APSA WIMI. Um, to essentially try to give them, you know, a usage-based insurance model. You know, um, we've worked with MTN, we've worked with, um, we're now working with VW. So there's like a lot of companies that see value in the work we're doing, you know. Um, so now, you know, that's basically Aubrey, you know, but one of the things, yeah, Brian, let me just hand the mic to you. You know, I think we're also getting feedback from you. So just going to make a note, vision, um, as well as response um and affordability right okay cool so from a vision point of view our vision really so sensor it to be honest with you we did not start with a specific vision we started sensor it with a vision that's married to SWE, which is changing the manufacturing landscape right but one of the things that were very bothersome to me was the fact that there's so much money that's being spent not just by the government by by normal south africans as well when it comes to things like your insurance claims and um, things like the repairs and the lives that we're losing based on road traffic crashes, you know? I mean, just Germany, I think the U.S. has like 300 million plus people. They have about 45,000 road traffic crashes. We have 800,000, you know? So that's a very bothersome, you know, um, 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 number. So that then became the, the business case for me to pick for our manufacturing business, you know, so that we can be able to show a regular South African that, hey, you can use this manufacturing platform. By the way, guys, it's called sui.io. So you can punch in, in any of your browsers, www.sui.io, um, and you um, have access to a platform. That's where you can basically prototype for very, very cheap, any hardware product, um, you know, without overselling it. It costs like um, one close to, one third of what you typically pay, um, you know, um, from a traditional um, um, SMT house or any maker place. Um, but, you know, so the, the, the idea was bringing adoption of the platform here as well as just liberating um, the people in South Africa from a hardware point where we create our own um, hardware products and just, you know, removing intelligence from creating, you know, because so that, that, that's the vision of Sweet, you know, but then the vision of sensory, when we started, I started becoming really passionate about it. You know, I remember telling my friends when I said, hey, it, this is just a, like a side project, you know? It's just something I'm doing to just like, you know, create the business case for South Africa for entrepreneurs to see they can create hardware companies and have them becoming incredibly successful, you know? Um, but with, the more I did it, the more the facts resonated, the more I actually understood that, uh, for instance, if you look in the global market, when you look at um, the automotive space, the technology that comes with the vehicle is far more advanced than a regular car in South Africa. I'm talking a regular I-10 or I-20, that's 2018, 2019, or 2020. In South Africa, you take the same car in Germany, 
the other one has lain um um um, um like lane um like um distance or lane departure warning sorry you know or forward collusion warnings you know like the modern technology and here the 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 cars are so rudimentary and that's because the automakers their thinking is to still keep cars affordable you know you don't want to um bloat cars with the new technologies and of course affecting the price and of course the cars aren't now particularly affordable to a regular south african so of course because i think still today people can't think of technology within like a, a, a tech that's in the car without the car you know people don't you you can't imagine a 2019 mercedes the technology that it comes with it without the 2019 mercedes if that makes sense you know so that's what we did at sensory you know we imagine the technology being a separate thing to a car you know um which is just a tool and instrument that makes the vehicle intelligent you know and of course more assisting to the human experience of driving you know so what then allows we are then able to create a product, of course, that we can retrofit, you know, into the into any basically vehicle that's produced after 1996, you know. But the 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 idea behind it, um, the vision, you know, is to make South African roads um faster, you know, sorry, not faster, but safer, and of course, saving South Africans a lot of money, you know. For example, we're all listening to a a a, a like the president listening to a speech the other day you know um and he was saying this billions there this billions there this billions here and everyone was like where is this all money coming from if you think about it if the uncars on the road since lockdown and we're saying there's about 143 million i'm sorry billion rands spent on a year um as a result of, of road traffic crashes you know we have savings inherently because people aren't in the road you know now money or spend or government money can be rechanneled you know, into other, you know, um, 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 you know, areas that are important to regular South Africans, you know? Um, so that's basically the vision behind it, you know? Um, so, um, so another um, 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 point that you mentioned is the response. Surprisingly, Brian, the response has been phenomenal, to be honest with you, you know? Um, I'm talking from an investment front, I'm talking from an adoption front, you know, where consumers adopt our technology as a standard product into their vehicles, um, as well as just like, um, you know, the aftermarket, basically all of it has been, you know, responding really, really, really well, you know, to extents that we also growing our team internally, you know. Um, so to date, I think we've been, you know, um, I think well positioned because we understand not just the tech that goes behind what we're doing, but we can, we have like, you know, A and B, we have competitive, like comparative um, 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 scenarios that we can use because we know what's happening here. We know what's happening in the US, in the rest of the um, continent, as well as in Europe, because I've stayed in Europe for the great deal of my, you know, um, young adult life from like 22, three, all the way to close to 30 you know, um, as well as being in Asia a lot, you know, and of course, so that global understanding or just that understanding of everything in, in respect to the space, you know, and having to work with your companies like Bosch, you know, having to, you know, um, 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 interact with your companies like NVIDIA, you know, which, are, you know, 
NVIDIA, I, I know they're known for gaming, but what they actually do, um, you know, one of the things they do is providing the chipset for um, autonomous vehicle, what you'd use like for machine vision processing. So um, I'm, I'm here. So the response has been, you know, I'm great. Um, from a pricing point of view, you know, so because one of the nicest things about being South African, you know, is that you always have two sides to a thing or rather three sides to the same thing, you know. You have where I'm from, Kailicha, you know, where everyone is literally poor. There's like two cars in a street of 50 people, you know, and you have your middle class, which is where I stay in Harbei, little bit bougie, it's nice. There's like a car in every home, you know, and of course there's like your Kems Bay as you do in Coastal, you know. So our thing, our technology, you know, just understanding the South African market, guys, I'll take the... Um, 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 questions. Thank you so much. Um, but I, I just want to address um, um, Brian's points, and then I'll just take the the the, the, the personal questions. Um, so, from a pricing point of view, I mean, South Africa, we have about eighty percent of people that can't afford a like a regular, you know, low entry vehicle. You know, because of just how they badly positioned economically based on the history of the country as well as the history of the continent, you know. So inherently, our products, we ensure to make them affordable as well as accessible, you know. For example, our products are cheaper than what you would pay if you have a Polo Vivo and you want to go take out the standard um, stereo system and put in a reverse cam, for example. That will set you off anything between 10 and 20K at VW, you know. Our products that are advanced driver assistance systems, we do Wi-Fi in the vehicle, we give you, um, 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 you know, like a whole suit, you know, um, of, of, of like technology at a fraction of the cost, you know. Um, you know, so, so our products are definitely, um, you know, affordable, but what we also cognizant of is as much as we can make our products affordable to the regular guy, because our idea is how do you turn a Mazda 3 to 3 in terms of technology to the same as, 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 as a Mercedes 2019, 2020? How do you have it te technologically superior, you know, while it's still affordable, you know? Um, so what, I'm sorry guys, it's on a, um, pour like a, like a bit of water. So basically, you know, um, our target market is a regular South African, you know. Um, we're not trying to, you know, target the high-end consumer. We're targeting the guy that can't afford a BMW 2015 going up, you know. A guy that can't, a guy, a guy that can afford a Polo Vivo, you know, or even a, a Toyota or whatever, you know, the case may be, you know. Um, so, so, so certainly affordable, you know, but in our DNA, we ensure that we uplift people as we are also, you know, progressing as a company. So for example, we have an installer program, it's called SIP, S-I-I-P, Sensory Independent Installer Program, where we take in university kids, train them into installation because we've made our devices hyper simple to install, right? What that means is that you need no engineering, technical, or be a technician for you to be able to retrofit or install our devices. What we're then doing is incorporating kids 
from the township, train them, give them a kit for them to be able to be booked by us and go install at a you know um, 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 specific um, location. So this could be so we create the demand you know because of the business muscle we have, and then the installation arm we of course try to feed that back to um, low income earning areas and just like low skilled um, 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 income earning areas so that we can of course ensure people. You know, they're not left behind with this whole industrial revolution, you know. Um, so, 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 yeah, that's basically, you know, um, um, from on, on a pricing point of view. Um, so I'm, I just want to take some of the questions that, uh, you know, um, um, have been sent in the, in the chat. Okay, so um, I think this is Jan. So Jan is asking, um, what are the main barriers, challenges, um, roadblocks on the adoption of autonomous um, cars in South Africa? You know, um, how long do I estimate or until when will the tech be adopted? So I think, um, so the main challenges um, like top of my head is the fact that in South Africa we have about 12 million vehicles, you know, um, that are on the road with a 6.6 percent um, year to year growth. So all these cars are like manual cars, you know. So the big challenge would be bringing in new cars, you know, um, which are full autonomous. If we don't upgrade the existing vehicles to become autonomous, for example, in Germany, one of the things they've done to adopt um, the latest technologies in vehicles was a mass adoption where the government had partnered up with um, um, OEMs like automakers. Um, so you could bring in your car, um, your old car, get a new car, and you pay like a small fee of what's left and the government subsidizes, which is why as a result, it's very rare in Germany to spot an old car, you know? Um, in Oka, it's, it's because of maybe some sentimental value that someone has. Maybe their grandfather had given it to them way, way, or whatever the case may be, you know? So basically, that replenishment, taking out of old cars into, like, a, a, and bringing new cars um, is definitely one thing. Um, and of course, the cost, you know, to date, I think how the, um, one of the main barriers to date, you know, because of the, 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 the tech stack required for the technology, for example, you'd need your LiDAR, your radar, as well as some cameras, you know, so sourcing those, getting them into the country, for example, imagine now when we are in lockdown, we can't get products that are non-essential into the country, for example. So now that means production is like halted, you know, um, from like for, for, for industries that haven't particularly um, you know, stocked up on components, you know, because most businesses didn't foresee the current, you know, reality, you know. So now having to, for instance, depend on this different set of hardware that we need to source from outside of South Africa because we're not getting those here or making those here is another barrier. But I think the great advantage that somewhat addresses the barrier is the fact that camera technology is improving. You know, if you look at the type of depth cameras available are far superior than depth cameras we had five, seven, ten years ago, you know, as well as just the evolution of, 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 of computer vision technologies like the software bit, you know, 
today you can have neural networks that you've never had 10, 20 years ago. You know, you can have, I mean, like um, such crazy processing power, you know, um, that before, for instance, you'd rely on your CPU and GPU, while today we can have um, like a neural, you know, like because of like neural network, we can have something completely different, far more advanced, you know. So what that does, it reduces the dependency on, you know, legacy technology, and of course, putting more dependency on camera technology around, you know, um, intelligence from a, 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 an autonomous driving point of view, you know. But I think the adoption from how I'd look at it is that there's two parts to it, you know, because in new technology, there's always two ways I'd like to look at it, right? There's the um, um, industrial adoption of it, as well as the consumer adoption of it, you know. So consumer vehicles, when we talk autonomous cars, um, it's a self-driving car in the street that is dedicated for my personal use, you know, for my own personal use. Well, if you look at industrial autonomous cars, we're now looking at, for example, um, indoor and outdoor logistics, right? Where you have your forklifts being semi or full autonomous, where you have your like mobile robots, you know, um, where you have your, 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 your pallet movers, um, as well as, for instance, Amazon used this like um, greatly where you have robots in the factory or in a warehouse that basically move um, the stock based on you know, demand that's coming from a web portal um, that's raised by a regular person, you and I, you order something from Amazon that goes directly to the factory. The robot, of course, now knows which um, in the bin location within the warehouse, um, for example, has stock available. Um, and it goes to take that automatically. There's some arm that drops it in there and so forth. Um, so from an industrial perspective, it's already being adopted, you know? Um, where now, where we look at, for instance, industrial intersection with um, consumer, it's your, like your last mile um, um, deliveries because autonomous last mile deliveries will also be a thing, you know, where there's an interaction between you know, the company as well as the person because of, of course, like in platform facilitating that. So here you're looking at drones, for example, you know, um, drones, which is, I think, that's one thing that will have a great uptake um, in the South African context or in the African context because we have remote areas, you know, where it's hyper expensive for you to get products to. But now if you have smart drones that are able to go drop product, medical supplies or whatever, you know, the future, um, 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 you know, um, you know, looks far more better. Sorry, I'm just looking at the question. Sorry, guys. And you also have, of course, your sidewalk robots, you know, like your sidewalk delivery robots. This has been seen in the States, for example, you know. But of course, if I'm, you know, I'm seeing now on the industrial side of the adoption of the tech, you know, which is there's less barriers because it's like a corporate decision because, of, and of course, corporates will adopt autonom like, um, autonomous because First of all, businesses are becoming semi to full, business processes are becoming semi to full autonomous, as well as now labor costs associated um, 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 with autonomous, like they reduce greatly, you know, because um, for example, if you have like your sidewalk delivery robots, it's a different, you know, costing structure when we're like labor is concerned. Um, why, for instance, if you're looking at um, 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 like your transportation, when you look at long distance or overnight lo logistics, you can have, for example, like 
like autonomous trucks where, you know, either um, partially or full autonomous, where the driver, you know, or rather it activates when it gets into a highway or leaves the highway. So that from a global scale has been adopted, you know. It's a matter of the very same international companies like your DHLs, you know, um, that are taking the stand on the global platform, adopting that locally, you know, or innovators, startup companies, engineers, innovating, and of course, corporate South Africa will adopt that or corporate Africa will adopt that eventually based on, you know, evident perceived value that the technology will provide, you know. Um, while, hmm, I'm not sure, I think I've, I've answered um, Jan's question, but I think he also um, asked, how long do I estimate or until when will, um, will we adopt the tech? To be very honest with you, um, Jan, it's much sooner than before. Before coronavirus, we thought a lot of things are going to happen in seven to 10 years. You know, um, The truth is that, I hate to use this word, but this is what I typically tell even my friends, that the technology that was going to take a long time to adopt is force-fed right now. For example, you can't get money from the government if you don't have an app or some level of digitization. You know, that's you being forced to use technology, for example, you know, um, there's, for instance, yesterday, there was um, one of my neighbors, they were getting um, like their toy, like their toys delivered to be rent, like an on-demand service for toys rental, you know, that you think it's something that would be the perceived value, because what drives adoption is perceived value of anything, you know, and, 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 and that's very subjective. So, now, when you look at these like last mile um, or on-demand platforms booming, you know, companies being invested like 30 million rand. I read the other day that the last mile, I think a delivery service company, um, like got 30 million rands invested into it. So now adoption is eminent, you know, it's literally being force fed to us, you know. So more so when you look at um, um, the, 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 the future of self-driving cars, because one of the things that will stand out, I think, to smart people in government, they'll also realize how do we, because think about it, if you're driving on the highway just by yourself or just on the road, how it has been for the last 56 or whatever many days you've been in lockdown, there's close to zero chances of you getting an accident. One, there's no one to drive um, 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 or collide with. And two, there's no one to collide with. You know, and of course, you're a sane driver, you won't be driving against walls and so forth, you know. So now, how do you maintain that, you know, is by automating the process of driving, you know, um, and, and, and of course, making cars autonomous, you know. But of course, if we're relying on government for this to happen, or big corporations in South Africa, that's not going to happen, you know. We need entrepreneurs, companies like Sensory, like my company to basically take the lead in making sure that the technology is brought to the um, 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 people and have the custodians you know, of the technology you know, fully like experiencing or getting the, the, the benefits of modern technology. You know? um, yes, so I'm just gonna check um, also some of the questions. There's another question from Adam as part of our vision, future vision. Do you see your company going public or listing on a stock exchange, either local or global, if it grows to a size where this could be considered? So because I've been in business 
since I was 17. If you had to ask me this question, maybe um, seven years ago, I'd probably say yes. Would like yes with in a heartbeat, you know. But right now, because of different ways of raising money, because of different ways of including people in any type of evolution from a commercial standpoint, um, that have been proven to work as much as the um, stock exchange, the public stock exchange has been proven. What I'm talking about is, um, for instance, if you look at um, IEOs, you know, um, which is, um, well, not to sound like the guy around buzzwords and all of that, but I'm a strong believer in the blockchain technology because we also use it at Sensorit. Um, so, so, so things like your um, initial exchange offering, you know, um, or your initial coin offering, you know, where you basically tokenize your proposition and you list that in a, 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 an initial coin offering um, platform, which is how people raise money today that are using the blockchain, for example. And there's many other platforms where you can source, fund, um, and so forth. So my answer today is not immediately yes. It literally depends at the point of taking or making that decision or even considering it, what's, what makes the most sense, you know, from a business point of view. So um, there's another question in a company like SA, um, could, we, could we see apprehension to autonomous vehicle adoption from labor unions, taxi associations, et cetera? How do we get around this and how do we strike a balance? I mean, you know, it's like, for instance, how where we are right now, we, for instance, if you look at why people would say emerging markets are great um, for new technologies, you know, if you look at, for instance, how the phone, you know, like we, we had the landline, you know, and immediately like a cell phone came in, cell phone was, hard, was much more, more adopted than a landline and everyone was all of a sudden available um, on their cell phones. You know, I think it's something very similar to that. It's called leapfrogging that, but I think autonomous vehicles will also have a similar effect in the African context in that they will be greatly adopted and the, res the resistance is highly based on the delivery of the technology. Um, what I mean by that, if you're gonna come make a car full autonomous, you're gonna have a problem. You need to essentially take steps where you make it partially autonomous where the driver um, is involved in the experience, right? And now, of course, what will that mean is that from a discipline point of view, things like your human machine interactions will start becoming a thing. You know, how do we as human interact with the machine or the robot, which is the card that possesses intelligence, you know? Um, for example, what I mean by that, which is at Sensorate, we have been focusing on reactive systems, right? We tell you about what's going on, you then act based on the intelligence we've provided, you know? But now what we are right now and moving towards is a proactive company, where, for example, if you hire any vehicle in Germany, or any country where, like the, like the US, that's like, you know, the, the new cars. If you drive too close um, to another vehicle and it's somewhat used um, other, you know, um, 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 other intelligence that's, or other data that has been gathered by sensors that the technology, the car is fitted with, um, the car could immediately perform certain actions on your behalf. You know, this is, for example, braking on your behalf. 
you know? So having those, um, 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 you know, that gradual evolution, you know, first changing the cars that you have, giving them, um, retrofitting it with technology, giving it intelligence, having an inclusive approach that doesn't absolutely take out the necessity of a human behind the wheel, you know, so that, so, so as to keep people employed, you know, but of course, make sure that we increase um, 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 the return on um, gain from those proposition while decreasing the cost, meaning that we, we make more than we're spending, you know, as well as saving from things like accidents and so forth, so that we can, of course, you know, pay people better and so forth. And of course, have a far more inclusive evolution, you know, from an innovation standpoint, as well as just like tech adoption, technology adoption. Um, when we look at like labor unions, taxi associations, I think it boils down to one thing. So I'm not big on politics and so forth, but one thing I can tell you is that if you build anything and intrinsically in what you build doesn't exclude the greater majority, I think people will tend to favor it, you know? Um, and policymakers will probably favor it too, you know? Because when we talk about autonomous driving, we're not talking about reducing people's salaries or jeopardizing their chances of getting employed or, you know, um, anything like that, like getting rid of them, as we often assume when we talk about the fourth industrial revolution. No, it's about reskilling, um, creating more opportunities, creating more value so that people are better paid and, of course, increasing the number of people being paid. As long as you're inclusive, I think there's little, um, you know, um, 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 resistance, you know. Um, while, of course, I think we need government working hand in hand with us, you know, which is something we've been trying to do from our side for the longest time, you know, where we essentially try to make sure that um, um, sorry, one of the guys was trying to, you know, like one of my um, passing messages is trying to log in. Um, so, 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 um, so yeah, that's basically, you know, um, there. and I think the question on how do we strike the balance, I think I've addressed it in terms of essentially not particularly, you know, full-blown bringing autonomous cars without considering their economic implications on a regular South African, you know. For example, things like what makes sense. If we have autonomous ride-sharing um, cars on the road, we're saving everyone that would potentially be driving money. You know, I'm reducing the congestion, like, you know, that's on the road, you know, having a much more fluid um, traffic system in the country, you know, people are getting on time to their jobs much more on time, you know, there's a much more healthier relationship. There's more positive effects than negative. That's my whole point. I could go on and on and on about the advantages of it, you know, um, but that's like, you know, um, yeah. So just taking another question. How will I, as a leader in South African tech space, tech space, make sure that the kids and the youth of the township are skilled and a part of the tech industry going forward? So one of the initiatives, which is a little bit outside of the initiatives that we're doing around the automotive space, there's a, 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 an initiative I've started called Black Unicorns. So Black Unicorns, it's basically imagining a future where Black people, particularly kids in the township, are included in the evolution of human nature or just human, like humanity as a whole. And knowing that technology is at the forefront of that, how do we in, essentially incubate black um, young entrepreneurs and bring them into the tech space? So this was informed by an experience I've had in Cape Town. 
when I was moving back back from Germany, I, I was part of a, a, a tech accelerator in, in here in Cape Town called um, ThinkRise, where I was mentoring startups um, with tech stars as a, you know, the accelerator. So, so I was one of the mentors there and I also started Sensorit in the same accelerator. But what I noticed was that while we're in Cape Town, there's like 99.99% of white people in the sea, in the tech scene, in the tech ecosystem. That 1%, they are, you know, washing our plates, you know, and bringing us coffee, you know, when we're having these meetings, you know. It was literally two or three. You could count black people in the space. And that kind of rubbed me off the wrong way because I was literally in Europe in the same situation, you know, where it's, it's predominantly white males in the space with very few women. So, um, so when I came back, the few women in the tech space in Europe became the black people of the tech space in Africa, you know? So that bothered me. So um, fortunately, you know, through series of events, and I'm a guy called Carl Carter from the US. We've shared a lot about this, this thing being a pain. We've then decided to create our own space for um, 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 black people to essentially create their companies where they are mentored, coached, well accelerated, um, integrated it and, ex and accelerated. So we created Black Unicorns. Black Unicorns, of course, is a, the vision behind it, we're just creating billion dollar black companies. That's, you know, the baseline vision behind it, you know? So the idea behind it was how do we, you know, help black tech entrepreneurs, you know, be included in the um, tech um, 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 ecosystem more so, because we say Cape Town is the tech hub of Africa. But when you look at it, it's not a reflection of Africa, you know? So Black Unicorns was that, you know? Um, so Black Unicorns started out in Hout Bay. Um, when we started, we started off just my company, Sensorit, and my friend's company, Snake Nation. Um, and, and from there, I invited um, some engineers from France and Germany to come hack 10 black businesses in Cape Town. So I picked companies of friends and family, um, as well as just some random companies, 10 companies, got 30 engineers, um, to essentially three engineers per company to give these black companies um, a, a service that they would otherwise would not be able to afford. You know, So this is your UI, UX, this is your front end, back end um, type of you know skill that they, they, that that's extremely expensive. More so when you look at it from like the the, the quality of that work in Europe. It's, I mean, I used to charge up like 180 euros an hour at some point. You know, so that's like top top quality, um, like skill or work or whatever. You know, but when you get here, a normal company in South Africa wouldn't be able to afford that. So our thing was, how do we get that top you know, EU global um, talent, you know, helping local companies. So we brought them in. Um, we, so the space here in Cape Town, it's like four, um, four one-bedroom apartments, like a compound, four one-bedroom apartments. Each one-bedroom apartment is dedicated to a specific vertical content. It's software, it's hardware, and the other one, it's a co-working space. So each one-bedroom has a bedroom, and each bedroom has two beds. You know, so it's like a startup campus, if you, if I may, you know, um, so um, so from there, um, within no time, we've had kids, I think some of the guys that we work with, or some of them are in the call, joining us, bringing their startups out of UCT, 
out of different, well, particularly UCT, actually, all the students or most of the companies that we ended up incubating were coming out of UCT because they, you know, found out about us after that, that um, month-long hackathon we did this, with these guys from um, Europe, um, both physically here as well as at remote. Um, when that ended, we then started taking in local companies to work with us. Um, and those companies include companies like Zabandu, um, of course, Sensorit, um, 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 Socially, Snake Nation, um, um, Hot Nozzle, you know. Um, I think we, at some point, we had about 16 companies, you know, and some of those companies left the, the, the incubator because they've reached a point where they can now, you know, afford their own office, you know, and work on their own without coaching or physical proximity coaching and mentoring from myself and Carl. Um, so that's basically what we do, um, answering the previous question, you know, um, as to what are we doing as an effort into making sure that we're not going forward um, just by ourselves, but making sure we're putting in black people. Specifically, of course, I'm from the township. I'm from Kailija, you know. I go to the township like every day. Probably after this call, I'm going to my mom. It was her birthday yesterday, you know. So I, go, I see the realities there and I can't turn the blind you know, like look the other way. I can't do that, you know, because I'm from there. As a result, um, it feels that I need to do what we're doing to make sure that we bring, you know, someone. And there's, I'm sure there's plenty of people in Kailija that could turn out to be just like me in terms of like, you know, work, energy, focus, and interest in topics, in, you know, and so forth. Um, so um, we have Ukensani Baloi. Um, I'm asking which marketplace is sensor available to purchase. Um, so we're working on a new e-commerce platform um, where, or rather we're working on a new sensor um, site that will have an e-commerce in it. So that's one way. Um, other way, because of the, of the business approach we've been deploying in the last three years, um, it's literally just been B2B. You know, we haven't really focused on B2C. So B2B means that we pick up that phone, we call that guy, we do those drives, we knock out those um, 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 car dealers, we find a way to get into those boardroom of, of, of big companies and so forth. So we haven't really, you know, tried to make our products available in a con conventional e-commerce fashion, primarily because of how we've been developing business on our side, you know? Um, is the black unicorns open um, to all use? Certainly. Um, it's open to all youths. So the good thing is that Black Unicorns, what we started in 2018 was a ventures builder. where we were just building ventures. We think we have brilliant minds in the same space, staying there, um, living and playing there. We think of something. If you, if you need anything, everyone's here. Product manager, um, software, tester, front end, back end, project manager, uh, business analyst, um, everyone is in the same, um, same space that's required for you to be able to spin off a company. So what we've then started noticing is that, oh, Flip, we have over 16 companies or 16 projects and products, but we haven't really thought so well as to how we commercialize this from an effort point of view. That then gave birth to Black Unicorns 2.0. We've got an entire floor in the CBD in Cape Town in St. George's Mall. Um, that's dedicated to commercializing ideas as well as commercializing the startups that we're creating out of the black unicorns, right? 
So the minimum requirements, you just need to be badass and, you know, badass. As much as it's a, like, the, 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 the mission behind it, behind it was birthed by creating black companies, but we're not opposed to essentially working, because South Africa is a very diverse country. And in all honesty, we're not racist people. Um, we're just people that like to look at situations for what they are, you know? In South Africa, the reality is that it's how it is, as mentioned before. How do you then proactively, you know, remedy and become an aid agent in the process? So, of course, you have to be, to be very deliberate and intentional and focus on a particular like, group. But we're not close to other, you know, um, um, ethnic groups um, applying. And, of course, working with us, we have females, we have black people, we have white people, we have Indian people. We have, um, yeah, all sorts. We are a reflection of the country. But the idea is that this is what we are addressing that's very obvious and that's very, you know, yeah, just in our face. I'm not sure how many people, you know, get to not see it sometimes, but yeah, that's another conversation. Um, how do you, so the um, requirements, um, so the idea behind Black Unicorns is that you don't have to be an engineer. We're actually banking on the idea um, because we have internally the greatest minds, I think, personally, because these are the people that are like the people we have right now in the entire team are like this one of the smartest, the smartest bunch I've worked with. You know, if we're talking about um, marketing, we talk about engineering, we talk about legal, we talk about sales, because the idea that now like Unicorns 2.0 has become is that we're not just focusing on engineering, we also have a legal arm that's inside the room, you know, hence the entire floor. We, we also have a finance team that's servicing all these companies. We also have a, 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 a marketing team that's servicing all these companies, you know, all these startups that we are creating, you know, and we have the best of the best people in the industry that have seen the vision and got excited about it and joined Black Unicorns. We started it as two people. Now we are nine founding fathers um, of the Black Unicorns 2.0. So what that means is that our expertise, they stretch now far wider, not just looking at um, soft engineering, hardware engineering and content, but we're talking many other capabilities. So um, the idea is that you need to be yourself, of course, have more than just a great idea, but demonstrate that you possess great, you know, um, understanding of the problem you want to solve. And of course, the passion behind it, because it needs to be backed by passion, because to date, everyone that we're working with, we've been paying our bills with dreams and passion, you know? So these are like entrepreneurs that I've been, you know, working with for a while that, you know, saw value in the work that I'm creating that we want to work to, like all of us together, you know? Um, yes, so that was the last question. 